0: Later, you'll hear a sponsored interview with Aaron Haynes from the 19th. Aaron talks with lead producer Carrie Shepard about the 19th Represent Summit, which is coming to Chicago later this month. Today on City Cash Chicago, the seat for Cook County State's attorney will be wide open in next year's election. Now that Kim Fox has said she will not run for a third term. Fox is the first black woman to lead the office, and she's garnered lots of attention and criticism for her reformist policies. WBEZ's Patrick Smith tells us that whoever takes her place will play a huge role in shaping the county's approach to criminal justice moving forward. It's Monday, May 1st. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Patrick, welcome back to Citycast Chicago.
1: Thanks so much for having me. What were the reactions to this news last week? You know, the people that I talked to, uh, there was, you know, actually not as much surprise as I as I anticipated. They they sort of saw this as, yeah, she's been the frequent and almost constant target of of attacks, target of criticism, and they sort of understood why she was maybe uh, done. With with being a public figure, or at least with being the the top prosecutor in Cook County, as
0: you listened to that speech, and I, I know as I listened, I appreciated how seemingly like like forthright she was about her frustrations with her tenure over the last eight years. She kind of spoke openly about what it felt to be written about constantly under scrutiny.
2: I want to thank my friends and supporters who are here today. And I wanna thank thank my detractors who are also here today. (laughs) Because it is because of you that I have learned to really dig into why, the why I do what I do. When people ask me over and over, State's Attorney Fox, how do you handle it? You take so much. I do, because I tell the truth.
1: Yeah, I was struck by how loose and sort of punchy the speech really was. You know, State's Attorney Fox is not somebody who shied away from pushing back on criticism, especially when the criticism is inaccurate or if she feels like it's unfair. I've been at multiple press conferences in the past with her where she has said, my my opponents or my critics right now are lying about this. I mean, she pushed back strongly in the past against Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot, against Police Superintendent David Brown, but— she never seemed to be having that much fun with it mm-hmm. in this speech. She really seems sort of like to hell with all of you guys. Like you've been lying about me for six and a half years and I'm sick of it. And 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 that makes it sound like it was a bitter speech. It wasn't a bitter speech. You know, you listen to it. It was it was kind of freewheeling. It, it seemed like she was kind of enjoying the chance to finally say, you know what? My critics are idiots and I, I'm sick of listening to them.
0: I mean, it's not like she is, you know, giving that speech on the last day of doing a job. Right. She still has to see the the rest of her tenure through. So I'm, I'm interested and excited to see what that what that looks like, how what her tone looks like, even with just a small amount of time. But can you remind people what exactly does the state's attorney do?
1: Yeah. So the state's attorney is the top prosecutor in Cook County. Here in Illinois each each county has a state's attorney, you know, in other in other states they're called district attorneys, and basically their main job is to prosecute crimes. Police detectives bring cases to them, say, hey, we arrested this guy. We think he or she or they are responsible for this crime. It's up to the prosecutor's office to determine whether or not they think that's accurate, whether or not they can prove that case beyond a reasonable doubt, and then go out and secure convictions. And there's a lot that goes into that, obviously. I mean, there's the actual like trial process. There's getting plea deals with people, but there's also stuff like, like arguing over bail when a person is first uh, first arrested or first goes before a judge. So that's the the main thrust of what they do is prosecute crimes and, and try to punish criminals. Um, there okay. are lots of other things that, that the state's attorney can do and does do uh, around policy as well. I mean, one, I'll just throw quickly, they are also sort of like the attorney for the county. So like if you sued uh, Sheriff Tom Dart... Uh, State's Attorney Fox's office would defend uh, Sheriff Tom Dart or something like that in a in a case, and they also have an advocacy role. And this is where State's Attorney Fox really hung a lot of her hat on was uh, trying to push for legislative or policy changes uh, in the city and in the state and in the county. Things like she she pushed for the legalization of marijuana. She pushed for expunging. Uh, convictions for marijuana. She was one of the state's attorneys who supported eliminating cash bail. So I say all that to say that that um her main job was prosecuting crime, but she took a much more expansive role or mm-hmm. expansive view of what her role was. Yeah,
0: and from the time that she, you know, ran in twenty sixteen, and she had a political history prior to being in this position, had worked in the state's attorneys for years, had worked under um you know, leader of the Cook County Democrats, uh, Tony Preckwinkle, but came in in 2016 beating out Anita Alvarez, who was, you know, the incumbent, but highly scrutinized. The the organizing community sort of made it a, a mission to sort of oust Alvarez during those years. You know, how significant was that election back in 2016?
1: Well, it was very significant. And, and, and you're smart to talk about what the moment was like then. I mean, people were still understandably very upset over the police murder of Laquan McDonald. There mm-hmm. was a sense, a belief that Anita Alvarez, who was who had been the, the state's attorney for, for a number of years, that she had dragged her feet in charging Officer Jason Van Dyke for that shooting. Waited
0: over a year. Yeah,
1: exactly. That she had, in other cases not prosecuted, not gone after abusive police officers. They felt that she was just not doing her job holding police officers accountable. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you remember this. The activists, the the, uh, the hashtag was hashtag BuyAnita, B-Y-E. They weren't purchasing her. They were trying to say goodbye to her. Uh, and and they were trying to get rid of her. And, and so it's not to say that they didn't support Fox, but first and foremost, they wanted to get rid of this traditional prosecutor. And Anita Alvarez She was a state's attorney like you sort of think of a state's attorney from like a TV show or from the old days where it was about throwing the book at the bad guys and sticking up for victims. And Kim Mm -hmm. Fox said, I'm going to take a different approach to this. You know, I'm still going to prosecute crime, but we're going to try to make this system more fair and more just for the people who are the targets of it. You know, the people who are accused of crime, I'm not only going to go as tough as I possibly can on everyone. I'm going to try to do what I think is fair and just.
0: Mm-hmm. And, you know, she comes into office and now all these years later, you you talk to some of the activists who helped galvanize that movement. I think about as people protested the killings of Rakia Boy and, and Laquan McDonald, you know, do activists and organizers feel that she's made good on some of these promises?
1: Yeah. So talking to activists and like progressive leaders, the people who did help get her elected and 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 who really want to see a change in. The way our criminal justice system works, I heard largely positive marks. I think every single person I spoke to said she didn't always do what I wanted. I, I talked to Aislinn Pulley, who who's the co-founder of, of Black Lives Matter Chicago, was a part of the Bay movement, and what she said was there were times where, where State's Attorney Fox did not keep up with the demands of the movement. She was not as radical, she was not as progressive as as Pulley would have liked, as activists would have liked, but. She said she did a lot of meaningful stuff. I mean, the the wrongful convictions that Kim Fox helped get overturned, the, the, the exonerations for people throwing out bad cases. And one thing that I heard over and over again from people was that having a state's attorney in the office, especially in the office of Cook County State's Attorney, I mean, this is an office that... Is notorious in the past for wrongful convictions that was directly involved in the killing of Fred Hampton, as, as State's Attorney Fox talked about in her speech. Yeah. And Pulley talked to me about the fact that having a state's attorney in that position who was willing to say there have been wrongful convictions, there has been a systematic abuse and, and, and unjust treatment of black people, there have been serious problems that we need to apologize for in this office. They said that alone was incredibly meaningful and that state's attorney Fox acted on that, you know, that not always exactly how they wanted, but they thought that she did back up her words. Who were some of her harshest critics? Yeah. I mean, her harshest critics were, you know, the police union, John Catanzaro, the head of the police union, police union, but then also Mayor Lori Lightfoot was incredibly critical of state's attorney Fox at some times, at times, Police Superintendent David Brown, incredibly critical of State's Attorney Fox at times. Uh, The editorial pages, especially of the Tribune, were incredibly critical of State's Attorney Fox at times. Um, Particularly with city leadership, you saw on a pretty frequent basis when the numbers were going up, and I think there was a, a lot of political panic in the city to blame someone for the gun violence, The police department and and Mayor Lightfoot pointed the finger at State's Attorney Fox and said, Mm -hmm. State's Attorney Fox isn't pushing hard enough to keep people locked up on bail. State's Attorney Fox isn't aggressively pursuing murder cases the the way that we want her to. And that's emboldening criminals. And that's why we're seeing this increase. Was this ever substantiated in the data? You don't know. Uh, Short answer is no, it was not. No one that I've seen has ever been able to put together data that could prove or really even give a strong indication that it was State's Attorney Fox's sort of more progressive policies that led to an increase in crime. Because frankly, if that was the case, we would have seen an increase in crime before the pandemic. We did not see, it's been horrible. I don't want to underplay it. The increase in gun violence in Chicago and Cook County has been very bad. It happened in 2020 and 2021 during the COVID-19 pandemic, after the George Floyd uprisings, and it happened in cities and other parts of the country nationwide. And so the idea that, that this national phenomenon of a big increase in gun violence somehow locally could be specifically blamed on state's attorney Fox just doesn't really make any sense at all to me.
0: Are you self-conscious about your smile Your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way. So stay tuned for their old town location. In her speech, she made it very clear. She is disappointed, hurt. And in, in some ways, it seems forever embarrassed that her legacy will also be connected to, to the case of, of Jussie Smollett. How critical do you think that case was to to maybe just some of the, the heat that was put on her office?
1: I think that, that the people who most jumped on and latched on to that case were people who were looking for ways to criticize State's Attorney Fox in the first place. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesse Smollett, as we know, he um, staged a fake attack on himself in downtown Chicago, said he was the victim of a racist and homophobic attack. It was big national, even international news at the time. Uh, That story unraveled, and ultimately he was charged with lying to police in that case, and he was convicted of that, However, he ended up having his sentence suspended and he did community service and paid a fine. People felt like that was improper. He should have paid a tougher penalty. And that's sort of where the criticism of State's Attorney Fox and her handling of that case started. You know, obviously it was a crime. It was a stupid and embarrassing for him crime, uh, you know, but but who who cares? The point is who cares like about this crime that he committed uh, except for people who wanted to use that as a way to to attack State's Attorney Fox. I, I want to be clear Um I think she made some very good points in her speech about how people focused way too much on that case, but uh, her office mishandled that case. You know, she said she was recusing herself and then text messages and emails show that she was still involved. There wasn't a whole investigation that found that there was abuses of discretion. So I don't want to be in the case where I'm saying, oh, actually, everything they did was totally fine. And I think it's OK to take a close look at cases and say, what does this tell us about the overall workings of your office? I don't think State's Attorney Fox should be um, free from all criticism or free from all scrutiny. But I do think she's right that we paid too much attention to the small case and I do think that the people who paid the most attention to it were people who were looking for something to latch onto to criticize her for.
0: I wonder if just in your time covering this beat, has this office ever had this much political attention, both for good and in many cases, for what has been a lot of criticism over the last eight years?
1: You know, I'm maybe not old enough, you know, I'm old, but I maybe not old enough to say the whole history of it. I mean, it certainly has always been a political office. I mean, I mean, uh Mayor Daley, former Mayor Daley was in that office. You know, uh the the Dick Devine who was in that office, even Anita Alvarez, those were heavy hitters in the Democratic political machine. Uh so it's not that it wasn't political, but uh you know, I think like a lot of parts of our criminal justice system until State's Attorney Fox things just kind of worked the way they worked, which is to say that, uh, like I said, Anita Alvarez and her predecessors were all about tough on crime, throwing the book at people. And and, and lots of people got hurt by that. You know, people right. were, we talked about wrongful convictions. We talked about the killing of Fred Hampton. People got ground up in that system. But the people who were the victims of that were largely poor black people. Mm-hmm. And that means that many people in the media and, and therefore many people sort of outside of black Chicago uh, ignored those problems and sort of assumed, yeah, this is how a prosecutor's office is supposed to work. So my understanding of the history, not that there weren't ever criticisms of State's Attorney Fox's uh, predecessors, but no one that, to my n- knowledge, faced the kind of criticism that she did from day one because she was challenging the way that that many people, not you know, not all the voters, but that many people in power thought was how the prosecutor's office was supposed to work.
0: Despite these criticisms, her base still seems to be behind her. She won a second term pretty handily in 2020, and you think she'd have a progressive ally in Maryland, Brandon Johnson. You know, has she said why she's not running again?
1: She really didn't. I mean, during the during her speech at the City Club, which I, we all thought I thought I was going to get to ask her questions after, and then her 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 team shut that down, and I didn't get to ask her any questions after. The only reason she gave was she said, you know, I never wanted to be a career politician. I prefer being in the background, sort of working on policy and 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 so I want to leave now with my head held high on my terms. Uh, so that was her reasoning. We can read between the lines based on her speech that maybe it was that she just was sick of the BS uh, but 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 I I can't, I can't say for sure you know I don't know exactly why she want and why she wanted to make this announcement so early.
0: Yeah, I I imagine at least one implication of her making this announcement early that it gives any person who is thinking of running for this office plenty of time to sort of mount their campaign. Is there anyone waiting in the wings to take over?
1: Well, so her her top deputy, Risa Lanier, is somebody who I've heard talked about, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle, who, as you said, leads the Cook County Democratic Party. She sort of picked Kim Fox for this role. Not just sort of. She picked Kim Fox for this role and and really boosted her candidacy. So we're all going to be looking to see who Preckwinkle picks and and who presumably the, the Democratic Party then endorses based on Preckwinkle sort of supporting them. Um Lanier to me makes makes sense. She's been there with Fox. We can presume that she has some of the same policy goals as State's Attorney Fox and, and Tony Preckwinkle. And then also has been a part of some high-profile uh, criminal prosecutions. Uh, you know, that's the one thing that that people hit State's Attorney Fox with, which even though she did spend time in the State's Attorney's Office, that she was not sort of a career prosecutor. She didn't have the the background of, of tough criminal convictions that people wanted to see. Reese Lanier has that. In a way, it seems like they've made sure she got it over the last few years. And so I could see that as being her as being one choice.
0: Yeah, I mean... Though the general election is in November, the Democratic primary will be in March 2024. So it's less than a year away, essentially. A lot could happen between now and next year. But in the next couple, we'll be seating a new mayor, a new police chief, and now a new state's attorney. As a criminal justice reporter, what are you going to be watching as these news leaders come into power?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting time. I mean, before State's Attorney Fox made this announcement... You know, we're talking, wow, you've kind of got like a progressive in every single seat of power when it comes to the criminal justice system uh, in Cook County in Chicago. Uh, That will still be the case, at least for another, you know, 18 months or so. So it's going to be interesting to see. Presumably, there shouldn't be that much friction. You know, when State's Attorney Fox or Cook County Public Defender Sharon Mitchell would talk about sort of their goals and, or or Tony Preck, we'll talk about their goals with criminal justice system. The city was often the sticking point. They'd say, you know, oh, but Lightfoot, it pushes back against this, or the police chief pushes back against this. So I'm going to be very curious to see how things work when you don't have, you know, presumably everybody's rowing in the same direction. And then there are certainly people who are going to try to seize on State's Attorney Fox stepping away as a way to try to bring the office back to where it was before she took office, a sort of more traditional law and order, tough on crime approach. The voters in Cook County and Chicago have rejected that approach election term after election term in recent years. Uh, But I know that people are going to try that again. And and, and I I assume there's going to be a lot in the media who frame it as yet another test to see if voters want progressive leadership, even though voters have been answering that question affirmatively for, for years now.
0: Hey, Patrick, I appreciate you making time for stopping by City Cash Chicago.
1: Hey, it's great to be on with you.
3: Hi, it's Carrie, lead producer of City Cash Chicago, and I am excited to share this interview about The 19th, who sponsored this episode. I've followed The 19th since it launched in 2020. The website features stories and topics that were affecting me as a 30 something year old woman living and working in a large city who did not want to just read stories about being a mother or just about dating and relationships. The 19th covers that, too, but it's really focused on empowering women, women of color, the LGBTQ plus community with information, resources, community that we need to be equal participants in our democracy. I also knew about the 19th because I followed the reporting of one of the publication's founding editors, Erin Haynes. Erin and her colleagues are hosting the 19th Represent Summit online and in Chicago, May 18th
2: through 20th. Erin is here to tell us more. Hi, Erin. Carrie, hi. So glad to be with you. And I'm so excited to be talking with you about Summit and just about the 19th. I appreciate you being a follower from day one. <laughs> from day one. Yeah, I
3: definitely was. I was so excited when I first learned about the 19th, which, like I said, I followed your reporting, which is I probably one of the reasons I maybe knew about it. But tell our listeners
2: where you were before the 19th. Oh, geez, it's hard to remember life before the 19th, but (laughs) uh, immediately prior to coming to the 19th, I was the Associated Press's national writer on race in America basically the intersection of race, politics, culture, pretty much all aspects of our democracy and society as it pertains to race, which, uh, you know, I feel like is kind of the unfinished work of our democracy Mm. and and the story of our time. So that was kind of my dream job before I came to the 19th. And and now I get to talk about race and gender and our democracy and society. So uh, really living the dream in a whole new way now.
3: Nice. Hard to leave a dream job. So Why was it so important for you to be part of the 19th when you all founded it?
2: Well, you know, when uh, my now boss, our CEO, Emily Ramshaw, first approached me about her vision for this newsroom, I was covering the 2020 presidential primary where you had six women running for office. You had a really diverse pool of candidates running for president. And yet There were just still the same narratives around race and gender in our political journalism that that I just felt like were not capturing who and where we were as a democracy, as Mm -hmm. an electorate. And so when Emily told me about a newsroom that could maybe try to do things differently, that really excited me. It really just affirmed for me that the best and fastest way to really change those kinds of narratives was to start over and see if we could.
3: Stay there, Aaron, for the change, those kind of narratives. When someone says, well, what kind of stories am I going to see in the 19th? Why should I read the 19th versus the AP where you were before or something? What do you say?
2: You know, The 19th is named for the 19th Amendment, right? But with an asterisk, if you've ever seen our logo. And that asterisk is really in recognition, you know, specifically of the Black women who were omitted from the 19th Amendment when that amendment was ratified in 1920. But really, it serves as a North Star for us editorially in terms of thinking about who remains unseen and unheard in this democracy. And I think that that is a lot of what is different about what we do in this newsroom and our approach to political journalism that's really centered on voters, right? That's really centered on, issues. It's not that we don't cover candidates. We don't cover elections. I love elections, right? I'm a political junkie, but I love to hear from voters about the things that are motivating them to participate or not in our politics, in our democracy, right? You know, we're not really focused on horse race, kind of who's up, who's Mm -hmm. down and what, you know, we care about how politics is impacting people's daily lives, I guess the idea that that all issues are women's issues, right? That the LGBTQ community are not single issue voters. Right. So really kind of expanding our political imagination. So you are here to talk
3: about the summit. What kind of programs and conversations can people expect
2: at the summit? Yes, yes, yes. So I am so excited to be talking about the summit uh, that's focused on three big themes, uh, those being tech, justice, and economic mobility among some of the participants. We've got Tish James, the attorney general of New York. Lauren Underwood, obviously your congressperson from Illinois, representing the 14th district. And then uh, Vivian Tu, who's founder and CEO of Your Rich BFF, uh, for those of you who may know her from social media. So we've just got really a, such a stellar and dynamic lineup. The best part, what's the cost, Aaron, to attend? <laughs> the cost is free. Just like our journalism, you know, if we cannot make this accessible and available for the people that we write for and about, then what are we, you know, why are we even doing this? It's just so important to us.
3: Finally... um... Why host in Chicago? Why Chicago
2: besides the fact that we're the best city in the world? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. I mean, Carrie, I hear that bias coming out. But look, I mean, Chicago (laughs) is a big, vibrant city. You've got a lot happening there around gender and policy and just Mm -hmm. a robust local media scene. Uh, It's a very important part of the country that informs us, you know, just kind of selfishly as as journalists uh, as we head into a very consequential election year.
3: Erin Haynes is an editor-at-large and one of the founding editors of The 19th. She's been with me today to talk about The 19th Represent Summit, which will be online and in Chicago May 18th through May 20th. You can sign up at summit.19thnews.org. Erin,
2: what a pleasure and an honor to talk to you today. Thank you. Carrie, same to you. Looking forward to seeing you and everybody else in Chicago real soon.
0: Before I let you go, a little bit of news. Last month, Chicago was named the home for the Democratic National Convention in 2024, and now, what's well, it's time for us to pay for it. Illinois congressional leaders are asking the feds for $75 million to pay for the four-day event. It's been nearly three decades since Chicago last hosted a convention. Online registration for Chicago Park District Summer Programs begins today for parks located west of California Avenue. It starts tomorrow for parks east of California. Good luck to everybody. It's National Small Business Week, and we want to hear from you. What's a business in your neighborhood you want to show some love to? Leave us a voicemail at 773-780-0246. Leave your name, your neighborhood, and a business. And some good news. My favorite season is picking up and that's farmer's market season. Tomorrow morning, Lincoln Square Farmers Market opens, and Wednesday, Uptown Farmers Market kicks off. For a map of other markets opening this month and next, check the show notes. As always, we appreciate you for listening. Make sure you're following along with the latest and news and events at Hey Chicago. You can subscribe now at chicago.citycast.fm. I'll be here bright and early. Hopefully you'll join me. Peace.